And now, before we officially begin this week's episode of the Boochcast, I have something very important that I need to discuss with all of you here at the Boochcast Nation. As you know, for many years now, I have been affiliated with a wrestling company called Universal Championship Wrestling. And the company is run by a gentleman by the name of Ronnie Gossett. I've known Ronnie for close to seven years now, and and anyone who knows Ronnie like I do knows what a bright light he brings with him everywhere he goes. Sadly, his declining health has added to the intense depression that he's fought since losing his daughters in 2017. Ronnie, in addition to being a wrestling promoter, also uses his musical gifts to spread joy to everyone around him and invest in his community every time he has the opportunity. Ron's health has begun to severely affect his quality of life and his ability to function independently. After being hospitalized, he has been advised by doctors that he doesn't have the one to two years it would take to get his health under control. However, there is a solution. Ron can get through this physical trial and thrive if he is able to raise the funds for a life-saving surgery. There is so much hope for his life, there is so much joy left for Ronnie to spread, and there are so many more fun nights he gets to create. Fighting diabetes that is out of control, coupled with blood flow issues and coronary heart disease, has brought intense pain to Ronnie's life daily and made even the most simple tasks incredibly difficult. He is losing the ability to work and provide for himself. Ron has been involved in the professional wrestling industry as a wrestler and a promoter for over 20 years with events that entertain many and also makes a living traveling throughout Georgia and South Carolina, facilitating karaoke and using his singing talent to entertain and inspire others. Ronnie will wear the mask of I'm okay forever and is the last person to ask for help. Trust me, I know this from experience. I love Ronnie to death, but he is a stubborn bastard, and he will never ask for help. He has needed friends to help him get to and from events in recent weeks, but struggles with shame, embarrassment, and believing that no one cares about him. His life matters, and it can be saved. Any amount helps. A surgery will save his life and give him the opportunity to live many more years blessing the lives of others, even reconnecting with his children in the future. And that is why I am encouraging everyone to go to the GoFundMe page that we have on our Boochcast Facebook page and donate whatever amount you can to help him raise the money he needs for this life-saving surgery. The goal is to raise $15,000. Now, as I mentioned before, every little bit helps. So you're not required, obviously, to donate thousands of dollars if you don't have that kind of money to throw around. But every little bit that you can give helps. And just to show how serious I am about this, I personally, Vinny Bucci, have donated $50 to the GoFundMe campaign. And I'm doing it for two reasons. One, because I consider Ronnie a dear friend in addition to a coworker, and I desperately want him to get better. But the other reason is to show all of you, the Boochcast Nation, that I always practice what I preach. And the one thing that I always preach to you guys is that I never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, ask any of you to donate money to any cause that I myself 
am not willing to donate to. So go to GoFundMe.com slash Saving Ron's Life. I will have links to this on the Boochcast Facebook and Twitter page for you guys to easily access and donate whatever amount you can. Every little bit helps no matter what it is. Don't feel like if you're donating a small amount, you're not contributing. You are helping us to reach this goal. Let's help Ronnie get back on his feet and get him the life-saving surgery he needs to thrive and provide and live a long and happy life.
Hello, and welcome back to the Boochcast. During the break, we played the song Wah by Edwin Starr. And some of you might be wondering why we chose this song. And the answer is very simple, because once again, it is that time for our classic pay-per-view reviews. Uh, for those of you who may not know, this is the portion of the Boochcast where we take a look back at some classic pay-per-views in the world of WWE, WCW, and ECW. And I, of course, do these alongside my good friend, Mr. Gator Ricky Ross, who is also uh, doing this, but even though we're calling him Gator, that's his name, technically the man doing this is the voice behind Gator Ricky Ross, who is, of course, the one and only Richard Glover Jr. And, hello. Yeah, hello, sir. And the reason we chose this song is because you'll notice the popular uh, chorus here. Wah! Huh! Yeah! What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. And... I think that we can all agree that the pay-per-view that we are about to get into, which is, of course, WCW Fall Brawl 1998. The war games in this match was good for absolutely nothing. nothing. Just wait, children. Just wait, children. There is is an opening song for another pay-per-view. Yes. That's a hell of a stretch. So this one is bad. Exactly. So... Now, obviously, we're going to get into the details of the War Games match and why it's good for absolutely nothing. But uh, the reason we chose this pay-per-view was because we wanted to commemorate the fact that in NXT, they have brought back the War Games. And even though there have been some War Games matches that have been great, you know, have had great moments, great spots, and have been entertaining. And others that are good for absolutely nothing. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. It was a lot of them that have been shit, but there have been some good Yeah, we're ones. looking at you, 2020 Women's yes. War Games. Yes. We, good we, God. Yes. Uh, we, yes. We, I think we already covered that one uh, here on the Boochcast. You can check out our thoughts on that. But Major fucking clusterfuck. It was. It was. It was horrible. Uh, but, of course. Only time, only time I ever heard a countdown. In a ring. Yes. It was It was Horrific. Horrific. And the thing we want to talk about here is this War Games match um, pretty much had the same type of stipulations as the one in the NXT War Games, which Gator and I are not particularly fans of, which is why we chose this particular pay-per-view. But we will explain all of that when we get to the main event. So because we don't want to bury the lead, we will get to... We will go from the first match on down. This is how we do it. Now, the way we do this for the new listeners out there is we do this from the perspective of not just wrestling analysts and wrestling fans, but two people who actually work in the wrestling business. Gator and I are both in the business. Gator, of course, has a history of being a wrestler, a manager, a referee, a ring announcer, a commentator. Uh, He mentioned on the last pay-per-view review, he's also popped the popcorn from time to time. So he definitely has indie wrestling covered. Um, I've done a little bit of everything. Yes, uh, myself. Uh, I am a. Uh, I have been a ring announcer, a commentator. Um, I have hung up posters. I have worked behind the scenes. I've set up. He's rings. worked the merch table. He's worked the merch table. At finally, when I got finally got my merch table, thank God. Um, all right, all right, all right. Too much kayfabe. Too much kayfabe. Yes, <laughs> yes. I had to, you know. So I got to do a lot of my own uh, things. So you know, so we both work in the business, and that's the perspective we're giving. So obviously, when we were kids and we were fans, we saw this match a certain way. But now that Gator and I have been educated oh, in the business. Oh, we did. I was two. Yes. Well, okay. Well, <laughs> well, me, me. You know, when I was a kid. And, and, 
And I will say this, and I will say this, it was in Winston-Salem, which means my grandfather was in the bag, and he had set up the ring. Yes. Rings. Rings. Yes, because there are two rings in the Fall Brawl, because when you have the war games, it involves uh, two rings. And during the uh, the regular matches, they each pick different rings to work in. They, um, they alternate between the two. Yes, to kind of... Emphasize both. Or unless of them. you're Scott Hall, you just use both of them because. Oh <laughs> uh, yes, but we'll we'll, um, get, we'll, get, to we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> Easy there, Gator. Don't bury the lead. Uh, Sorry. But we will. So we're gonna kick things off here with the first official match of Fall Brawl '98, which was the sixth Fall Brawl professional wrestling pay per view. It took place on September 13th, 1998, and as Gator mentioned, it was it was in Winston Salem at the Lawrence Joel Veterans Memorial Coliseum. Which is no longer there. Which is no longer there. And, of course, the tagline was, No retreat, no surrender, one rule, take no prisoners. And, of course, uh, we kicked things off with the first official match of the evening. We had some tag team action. We had the British Bulldog and Jim Neidhart versus the Dancing Fools, a.k.a. the Disco Inferno and Alex Wright. Okay, let's be honest. When they were putting together this tag team, somebody just said, hey, let's throw together the two fucks that dance. <laughs> I agree, but um, I'm probably in the minority here. I love their gimmick. I, I really I did. Like I, I like it. It's, it's, I mean, it, there's nothing wrong with it. I think Disco can overdo it a little bit, but, I mean, there's nothing There's nothing wrong with it. Now it's right. He just looks like he owns a German strip club so <laughs> i think he uh, i think he stripped in a german strip club that too yeah <laughs> but uh so we start off here we start off with you know just some simple tag team stuff that work around the british bulldog kind of works around the fact that he's bigger than most of these other guys uh bulldog gets hurt bulldog gets hurt bad he takes a bad bump on a trap door now this is behind the scenes stuff now there was a trap door there that is set in motion for later in the show during the War Games match when Warrior comes out. And nobody let Bulldog know where it was, and he took a bad bump on that bitch and hurt himself severely. And you can you can tell. During the match, you can tell that Nightheart is looking at – and he tries to soldier through it because that that's what you were taught. When you're in wrestling school, you try to soldier through your shit. But it's – you can tell Davies, Davies – Pushing. Yeah, and so yeah, so you, in a way, you're kind of giving him credit for finishing the match. Um, well, of course, and the pain that he's in. Now, as a fan, now of course, as a fan, you don't really know this, so you're thinking that he's stinking the joint out. You have to, you have to look at it through different eyes to realize this is a guy who took a really bad bump and now has to soldier through to finish the match. Because we mentioned before, and that's I, what you do. I've been there. I've been that guy that took the bad bump. Yeah. Um. We've heard I multiple mean, stories. Knows how many times have I called you and said, hey, I took a bad bump? Oh, yeah. You've you told me many, many times. Many um, times. Yeah. I mean, I've been in some situations where I had to just kind of roll through it. But for him, and this was literally his his one of his final matches because of it. Really? Like this This yeah. shortened his career? This shortened his career because it, it gave him – he had a real bad back problem afterwards. Yeah. Damn. And I found that, I found that out from listening to Tony Schiavone uh, – once you finish listening to us on the Boochcast, there's a podcast called What Happened When. And I got a lot of my information for the WCW pay-per-views from What Happened When. Yes, and uh, so Tony who, Yeah, so Tony Schiavone's on that pay-per-view. 
I mean, on that podcast. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, in that in that case, I would definitely recommend it because I am a, and I've said this before, I am a huge fan of Tony Schiavone. To me, he is my he is my personal favorite commentator of all time. Uh, I remember uh, now, Grant. Now, and I remember because Scott Hudson, who wasn't on this, but later was a commentator for WCW and kind of mentored me as far as commentating goes. Like, taught me. He was the guy that kind of smartened me up and taught me the right way to commentate. Not that I was doing it wrong, but he gave me better advice than what I already had. Like, I was. It's one of those things where I was good, but he made me better. If that makes yeah. sense. So yeah. he basically asked me, and he said, look, who's your? tell me who your favorite commentator is, and you don't have to say me just because I'm here. If it's not me, say who it is. And I told him, Tony Schiavone. So he kind of educated me on that. But I've always been a fan of Tony Schiavone. Now, I acknowledge that JR is a legend and people consider him to be the best ever, and I don't disagree with that with that concept. And I've always spent the world for Jim anyway. Ross. But it, as far as who I thought was better and who my personal favorite is – it was Tony Schiavone. So I would listen I, to I him all day. I disagree that JR was the best ever, but that's just me. I know. I'm just going with the logic. Like, I, I well, do I, believe. I know, you. but I, I think, and there's a gentleman who's a better commentator than. I think JR in his early years was a. I always loved early JR. When the 90s, I couldn't stand it. Um, and I, and I mean that. I could not stand JR and King as a. And, and that's terrible, but I really couldn't. Okay, that's fine. That's too much. Um, but. But my favorite commentator is actually also on this show, okay. and that would be Mr. Mike Tanay. I like Mike Tanay. I'm a fan. I I always I always liked him. I was exposed more to him during his um, TNA run, but yeah, I've always enjoyed Mike Tanay. Honestly, yeah, I I felt like since uh, Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan, uh, like Bobby Heenan, obviously as a commentator was a color guy, so he had the personality, and he was he's also the, the heel. He's the best goddamn color guy there was. Yes, and also, of course, uh, Tony Schiavone has the passion and like the you know the voice. Like he brings that energy that I love when he does it. Mike Tanay to me was kind of the straight man that they played off of, and I thought that he yeah. like he well, helped. That's why him and Don? That's why him and Don West work so well. Yes, because I love the fact that he can like, and that's the thing that is a lost art form. That most people don't get as, you know, everybody has these outlandish personalities, but uh, the outlandish personality works better. And I think you'll agree with me on this. If you have a straight man to play off of, it makes that outlandish personality guy better than if he's by himself. So that's why I always pride myself on being that straight man for people to play off of. If there's another outlandish personality there. And an example is like when you like when you and I do bits on the show. I like to be yeah. the straight man for you to play off of. And mm-hmm. and for those of you that have been fans of mine for years, when you've seen uh, me and Gary's not going to like this, but I'm going to use him as an example, when me and Jerry Truman did stuff together. Oh, God. I was always the straight man that Jerry played off of. Yes, you were the straight man Jerry played off of. You know, yeah, figuratively as well as literally. Um, yeah, I know. He taught you He taught you all sorts of things, like the Heine Lick maneuver. Yes. I, I... Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, God, okay. But you, you get my point. Yes, you were the straight man. Yeah, but I'm saying that Mike Tanay was the straight man for them, and that's what I loved about it. Like, you know, he won't the straight man like you were. Yeah, but I'm saying Mike Tanay was always like to the point. He got yes, very, he got to blunt. the point. There was no nonsense. There were no extra words. Every word he said was to the point every time. Yes. So, getting back to this match, tag team matches have a weird formation. 
Um, you see, especially when you have babyface heel style situations, they work over Disco. The heels, I mean, is they. Uh, Nightheart and Bulldog. They work over Disco for a while to finally give that good comeback off that hot tag. Now, hot tag is a tag that is done quick, fast, and emotion to give a babyface a good dose of a shine comeback. Yes, absolutely. It's a it's a tag it's a tag that is done quickly and that and the babyface is hot and he's pissed and he's coming in because they got all this heat. Now you you'll see different things with that. Um, the match ends with a miscommunication by the dancing fools. Uh, ref drop down, which blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a power slam and then Bulldog Nightheart go over. Yes, and um and of course uh and of course for the uh for for anybody out there go over means they won. For anybody yeah, that didn't they, know that. Yeah, they won. I apologize. No, 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 no. You're you're totally okay. I just you're right to no, say I, that. I know I'm okay because I I wrote it the way I would I would no, no. present it if I was yes. presenting. Yes, and you're presenting it perfectly. I'm just providing the translation. You do you do you. I'll translate. Um. Okay. So we got now. I will say uh, as a little side notes here. I was not surprised to see Jim Nyhart and British Bulldog and WCW, even though the commentaries were hyping it up like it was a big deal because I kind of had a feeling after the Montreal screw job. They were on their way out the door. If they didn't quit, they were going to be let go. I had a feeling. And then I also thought I loved the psychology and the taunting throughout the match. Yes. I yes. Like, like Jim Nyhart trying to do that swinging thing with his hips and yep. Disco playing with a fake beard on his own face. Like, make it, they were just like making fun of each other. And I like it because A, it helps you bide some time so you don't blow up in the ring. But. Right. The crowd is into it, but blow up, blow up means get gassed. It means to be get um, when you lose your get get tired, get fatigued. It mean it means to be extremely tired and to show it. Yes, and in not a way that has anything to do with the match. Absolutely. Now there were two things I noticed in this match, and I want to see if you caught them too. Did you happen to hear during the match a "We Want Brett" chant, or was that just yes. me? Okay, good. Yes. Because I could hear that throughout the building. We want Brett. And because they're in Carolina. And, yes. And Carolina was a big – I mean, they're a big wrestling state. But they, I found something interesting about that, and I'm going to get to that uh, later on in the show because I saw some irony with that chant. Um, also, I want to say uh, that one of the worst spots in the match was um, when the British Bulldog kind of jerked the rope and Jim Nyhart tried to do that slingshot over the top rope. That yes. was sloppy as fuck, wasn't it? He was hurt, though. I'm talking about Jim, not Bulldog. I know, but but remember, remember, Bulldog was hurt. I know Bulldog was hurt. I'm talking about Jim, though. Jim wasn't hurt. Oh, you're talking about the slingshot. Yeah. Which, I, no, what I'm saying is they were trying to do this double team move where the Bulldog kind of pulls the rope and Jim Neidhart kind of launches himself over the rope. Right. Jim, I'd say Jim Neidhart slingshot over the top rope to kind of tackle, I think it was Disco. I, the slingshot was sloppy on Jim's part. Yes, but it, it, it okay. Now I know what you're talking about. That was not Jim's fault. That was Bulldog's fault for not pulling it completely. Okay. Um, that was not Jim's fault. Okay. And and I and I again I hold Bulldog to the fact he was hurt. Okay, fair enough. All right, I just happened to catch those things. And uh... yeah, if he doesn't, if you if the, if the rope doesn't get pulled enough, you can't get enough momentum. I can see that. That's a good point. So, um, that's. That's that situation, but anyway. Okay. But so so that's our opening contest, and it was a, it was a decent little tag team opener. 
Yeah, it was about 11 minutes, three seconds. It was standard. Um, yeah, very, very standard. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening uh, for the WCW World Television uh, Championship. Are we calling it this? Are we calling this a match? <laughs> I, I guess not really. If we can call it that, I don't. I don't Children. usually. Children, this was just the heat. <laughs> uh, Chris Jericho defended the title against Goldberg. <laughs> Um, would you like me to say it the way I wrote it in my notes? Go ahead. Fake-ass Goldberg. <laughs> midget bird. Yeah, it was a midget Goldberg. and Gilbert's illegitimate son. Because that was the thing. It, it wasn't Gilbert, who we all know now as the Goldberg impersonator. Um, yeah. You know, in fact, we, in fact uh, you might have, we saw him on the build-up to uh, Goldberg versus McIntyre. He was on Raw, yeah. but he didn't do – we found out later the reason he didn't do much was because he had just recently recovered from a heart attack. So that's why he didn't do anything yeah. physical in the ring. So, you know, so there was that. But anyway, so Jericho says he's going to challenge Goldberg title for title in the show. Jericho is trying to get to the ring, and now Jericho told this story briefly on Inside the Ropes where he mentioned that he got to the building that night, and they told him – he was going to wrestle a midget Goldberg. He mm -hmm. didn't know till he got there. And he tried to do something to, because as we know, Goldberg had a re has a reputation for coming out with security guards around him when he walks to the ring. So Jericho wanted to mock Goldberg's entrance. So, so he gets, he gets uh, this guy who's like a, a ninja or something. And then the other guy, Ralphus. Jericho's a big, fat, a big fat mullet wearing ninja. Yes, and Ralphus. And, and well now and... this now the story oh, of Ralphus was he was a truck driver for that he was the guy that basically drove the truck that had all the supplies in it for WCW. He was not retarded. No. Uh he was just he was just a, he was just a, he was one of those guys that's like so nice it's weird. Yes, he was just a sweetheart. He's a sweetheart which guy. Was, which was funny because there's a story. Oh, I'll tell it. Can I go should, I, should it. I tell it? I, you you go beat me to it. Go for it. So anyway, he tells him about being a security. You want to come out to the ring? He goes, Sure, I'd love to. And that's how he talked. So he had they cut his shirt to make it look like he got this gut and he's coming out to the ring. And you see this in Fall Brawl. And we'll get to the midget Goldberg in a second. But then so Ralph he starts using Ralphus as his manager. And at one point Security guard security guard and he's like supposed to tell people like don't touch him get authoritative but he's so he just be like no no like he'd be all like you know shaking a finger because he just didn't want to be mean because he's just not a mean person and then he tells the the best story was they start using him in matches and jericho had a match with hugh morris where hugh morris is supposed to do a moonsault and ralphus is supposed to like grab his leg but ralphus doesn't grab his leg and hugh is sitting there waiting for him to grab it because so finally, so finally, Hugh Morris has no choice. He has to he has to go for the moonsault. So the finish happens. They find out he's over there talking to these girls, and Jericho's yelling at him like, "What the fuck, man? What's going on?" He's like, "It's like I was talking to these girls. They they, they were being nice." He goes, "You messed up your spot." And he's like, "But they gave me flowers." And Jericho's like, "Aw, they gave you flowers? Really? Can I take a look at those? Sure." So he's looking at the flowers. He's like, "Oh, these are pretty." Fucking idiot! And he hits over the head with the flowers. Yes, and this and is all calls, live on TV. This is all live on TV. He calls him a fucking idiot and hits him in the head with the flowers. He, <laughs> he doesn't can... say fuck. He doesn't say fucking idiot on TV. Well, he was thinking it. 
What, what Jericho like, tells the story on stage, he says, fucking idiot. Yeah, well, fucking idiot! He hits him in the head with the flowers, and then of course, and of course, they start bringing him to house shows. Like he would literally drive the truck to wherever the next show is, and then drive four hours wherever they were to a house show, mm-hmm. thinking because they thought Ralphus thought he was working house shows. It's like no, you weren't working house shows. And they tried to, put, and then that's why, like you know, when Jericho was leaving for WWE, Ralphus thought he was going with them. He would literally turn to Jericho and go, "So when are we gonna go to New York? This place is going downhill." And Jericho's like, "You drive the truck." You you don't get to go with me, and then and just and he just had this great relationship with Ralphus, and he was just a sweetheart of a guy. And they later started using him in matches. I think he was like going. I think he was either in hardcore matches or won the hardcore title at one point. I can't remember. But anyway, so Ralphus is out there, and this is a midget Goldberg that comes out, and we have Jericho versus Goldberg. So uh, uh, Gator, um, I know you got. Do you have any other notes on this match, or do you want to? I- I well, well, we all know Jericho's been doing this BS for years. Yes, I was going to. I actually wanted to say that because I found something interesting during this match. Um, at one point in the match, the midget spears Jericho, and Jericho bumps for the spear. So here's what I find funny: right now, currently in AEW, Jericho gets a lot of shit from fans and from Cornette and a few other people. About the fact that he, Me. you know, and, and you, for the fact that he works and sells and sold during matches with Orange Cassidy. Uh, yeah. They've given him shit for taking a bump for Sonny Kiss. Or yep. all, and working with all these other guys and doing all this goofy shit. And everybody's like, Jericho's lost his mind. Jericho knows better. And I'm like, apparently not. Because even in 98, he was doing this shit. So... Turns out Jericho didn't lose his mind. He's when, always when, been like this. When left to his own devices, Jericho shits the bed. And here's the thing. In WCW, he even mentioned for a lot of the time, he was left for his own devices. Because you could literally do whatever you want. Exactly. Because Well, that's because WCW, there was a lot of issues because one guy would book one show, then this guy would book another show, and it was just, it was a cluster. And then they book the show. They they show up on Monday or Thursday, and it's like that don't work for me, brother. Yeah, and that, it's like oh boy, oh crap. Which, that don't work for me, brother. Just so y'all know, we'll <laughs> be coming back later. That's called foreshadowing. Yes. So um, Jericho wins the match. Eventually, the midget taps out, and it's lasted one minute and fifteen seconds. Whatever you want to call it, it was it, it was, was good, it was good heat for Jericho. Yes. But it was also- it was also like, what the hell? Yeah, it was. It was literally just something. We need to get something for Jericho. Here it is. So Jericho yeah. basically got a night off. Exactly. And oh, on that note, we Here are we are moving on to the next match of the evening. Here we have come. the three-time World Karate Champion. He is the greatest. He is the real deal. Ernest the Cat Miller versus Norman Smiley. Oh Jesus! Um, this was the worst match of the night, and freaking okay. Oh yes, it was terrible. It was it was like watching two monkeys try to fuck a football. <laughs> it was bad. It was bad. Uh, three time karate champ, different in hell. Um, he literally he finishes the match by kicking Norman as hard as he can in the head. Yeah, that's how the match ends. Miller goes over with the damn kick to the head, and I want to throw things. Yeah, because he literally he he didn't and and I found this out because I listened to eighty three weeks by uh which is uh um Eric Bischoff's podcast yeah and 
Bischoff said, you know, the only reason he was hired was because he was Garrett Bischoff's karate teacher. Oh, yeah, I didn't even know that. Yes. And <laughs> that was the joke that was made by Tony Schiavone as well when I was listening to his podcast. I, I, I did a lot of research here. Um, and it, just, it was it, – this was a – the only thing that saved this match was there was – at the beginning – there was a spot where Norman said, I mean, we're not Norman, where Ernest said, Norman, you're a brother, and since you're a brother, meaning you're black, you can, you can walk out. I'll give you five seconds, and the and Bobby the Brain tries to count with him, and it is it made me chuckle. But other than that, it was just a stiff match because nobody taught, nobody slowed Ernest Miller down and said, hey, look, this is, this is how you work, brother. This is how you work. Yeah. <laughs> we're not really trying to kill each other. But you don't understand. I'm a three-time karate champion. I am the greatest. I am the real deal. I go. And out if to you were in ring. the ring with me, I would have popped you in the face. Moving on. <laughs> Although, um, I will say this though. Um, when I watched this match, I realized something. Norman Smiley was very underrated as a wrestler. He's really he was damn very good. Underrated, and he was too damn nice. Because all right, I'm gonna tell a story. In the business, if you want to get a little squirrely and get a little stiff, and I keep telling you to slow down and not be stiff, I'm going to pop you with a receipt. Vinny, how many times have you heard me say, don't fucking work stiff? A lot. <laughs> okay, a lot. don't be that guy. He just literally kicked this man in the head for real. Yeah. And I just feel bad for Norman because Norman was so sweet. Yeah. Norman actually was trying to work. And he, you're right, he was underrated, but God damn. Yeah, like I can see why they hired him as a trainer at the Performance Center now. Like this guy's really He's cool. a hell of a work. Yeah. He's a hell of a work. Although I will say this, despite him working stiff, I did like the I did like Ernest Miller's ability to use his martial arts to tell a story with his promos and in the ring. I did Maybe think... maybe in his promos, but in the ring he just kicked you in the fucking head. Yeah. Like he had that move called the feliner where he goes off the top rope with with it. I love yeah, that. I thought that was kicked you in the fucking head. Yeah. The only thing I don't, the only my my personally I don't like is is that I get that he's supposed to be a karate champion, but I am not a fan of wrestling barefoot. I don't like it. Okay. If you're not Jimmy Snuka, it don't work. I don't like it. I'm not. I'm not. If you're not Jimmy Snuka or Kevin Von Erich, I don't know. I, I have to look at him. Maybe I don't I to see if I'm cool with that. But I know that I didn't like it from Ernest Miller, and I sure as hell don't like it from Matt Riddle. So wrestling barefoot is not – I don't like it because I feel like you're well, – you are te- – Sorry, go ahead. I feel like you're two seconds away from shattering every bone inside your foot when you do that. I wish people – I wish people would use the psychology of it. Okay. Because I've actually done this. I have been in the ring with a guy that wrestled barefoot, so I stomped on his foot with my boot. Yeah. And it's it's a good spot, and it makes the it, – you know, because everybody's thinking it. Exactly. It's the unprotected part of the body. It's a good spot. It really is. It is. It's a good spot. Not a lot of people think about it, but I've done it twice. Yeah. At, at least it needs to be done in a match because it it, it makes no sense yes. to ignore I'm waiting that. for somebody to do it to Matt Riddle because I would have already done it. I've I've seen them do it like back in a backstage fight, but never like in the ring. See, I would have done it in the ring because the psychology. You come in with no shoes, you're supposed to be lighter, faster, whatever. But and that's cool, but. You know, that being said, too, you have no shoes on. You have no protection on your feet. I'm a heel. I'm going to stomp on your fucking foot. I mean, I'm, I'm going to work it, but it's still going to be, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're going to do a work stomp on the foot. Well, of course. I'm not going to really stomp on your foot. Yeah. Unless he doesn't sell. Well, then 
then I'm gonna well, that's a whole nother story for a whole nother day. <laughs> exactly. If you um, don't if you don't if you don't sell, I will make you sell. Oh, well that and that's the rule. And and Vinny knows this. <laughs> I know. I tell your story. I tell the cane story all the time. All the time. I use it as an example. When, what the uh, oh my cane story? Yes. Uh do you do you want to tell it or should I? Go for it, because you, you okay. apparently you're using it as <laughs> it's not a stand up, it's just a story I tell when I'm trying to teach people. I know, but apparently you're using it as a Yeah, as so a, as a as a as a teachable moment. So yes, go for it. So here it is. Uh Gator a long time ago was working a match where he was managing a wrestler. And there were two guys in the ring. Now, apparently, the finish of the match was the referee supposed to be distracted. Gator's supposed to come in with a cane, not hit this guy in the head. He goes down. His client covers him one, two, three, matches over. They win. Hmm? So Gator goes in with the cane. And and he worked. Now, a work hit, obviously, he's going to feel a little bit, but he's not going to hit him hard enough to where it seriously well, hurts him. It, but you, well, that being said, it's, it's, you know, it, I'm trying to gimmick it, so I'm not, I'm not going to hit him directly in the head. I'm going to hit him probably in the shoulder and he's going to sell his head. Yes, exactly. So he comes in, he whacks him with the cane. Guy does nothing. Yep. Gator whacks him again. Still working. Hits him again. Guy does nothing. Hits him a third time. Guy does nothing. Gator at this point is pissed the fuck off. So he cocks this thing back like a golf club and then <laughs> and fucking just boom, dead center in the back of his head. This some bitch goes down for a shoot. Which which means real. He is unfucking conscious. This guy yep. cannot move. He is out fucking cold. His client, the wrestler he's working with, is now realizing he's out fucking cold. So he's got to call an audible, pin this some bitch. Referee finally gets in. One, two, three. They get their hand raised. They're going up the ramp. They're celebrating. The guy's still unconscious. Other mm-hmm. wrestlers had to leave the locker room to pick this some bitch up and carry him to the back. I forgot about this fucking story. Carry him to the back. So finally, they get to the back. The guy's coming oh, around. Yeah. He's so pissed. now he's pissed. So he gets in Gator's face, and that's where Gator coined the phrase that we all know and love here on the Boochcast, which is "Next time you sell my shit." And they got into it, and finally, it got to a point where the whole locker room basically stood up and said, "Back up away from Gator," and he had to back away. Mm-hmm. I love that story. I tell it all the time, especially when I get to sell my shit. Sell my shit. Where are you, where are you telling this story? <laughs> uh, I told this story um, on the when I when I would do um, recaps with like Desmond or John. I brought the story up, and oh, one shit. time, one time, and I was on a podcast once called a uh, Radio Labyrinth, where I was promoting a UCW show, and I told that story on there, and I even did the sell my shit, and they laughed their asses off. So, I, oh my God, I love you tell that story. I tell that I love because it's a great example of why of you why should, we why I tell people sell, sell, sell. Yes, because the key thing we say is you're supposed to always take care of the person you're in the ring with. And I always, got, but he got dude got pissed. Dude got pissed and wanted to start scrapping, and I'm like, ah, uh. yeah, yeah. Because, well, everybody stopped it because they weren't gonna let him hit you. Well, no, no. Where's what happened? The boys started grabbing him, and they were pushing him. They were pulling him off of off out of my area, cause cause they were like, uh, uh-uh, you're not gonna fuck with Gator. You fucked up. But well, he was green too, so yeah. But it, and it was a. But I love telling that story to people because people get that as an understanding of. Because I've always said you you don't intentionally hurt the other person in the ring unless they don't sell for you. Then you're allowed to break that rule to protect the business. You can't injure them. But you can you can rough him up a little bit if he ain't selling. 
So I, I met. No, and you I, just hit him in the back of the head with the fucking can- <laughs> <laughs> dead center in the back of the head. Like God damn. You like you damn near killed the guy. It's been a few. It's been a few years since I've since I've fucking since that happened. So I'm yeah. like, oh my god. But I never but, forgot it. I never forgot that story. Oh my god, I did though. I mean, I remember it now. Now, now I'm sitting here like, oh yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. But I fucking forgot all about that story. I know. <laughs> Cause I, cause I always go back to the, to the, um, to the green guy that that I took my belt off. Yes, or or Bri, or the guy with the Brie Bella knee lips. You love to talk about him, but I, 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 I use that story as a teachable moment. The Brie Bella knee lip is if I'm trying to make people laugh. That's just a, that's not even teaching. That's just hey, I have a funny story about Gator. Here it is. But I use the selling. I use the guy. I use the cane. As a teachable moment. Yes, yes, and I and that's great, and that was a great teachable moment, children. Uh, always sell, and um, but back to the original thing. Don't really kick somebody in the fucking head. Exactly. Yeah. So be mindful of that. And on that note, we're moving on to the next match of the evening. Um, this was one of the matches that at the time wrestling fans were dying to see, but it never really happened the way we wanted it to. We had. Steiner versus Steiner, brother versus brother, Rick Steiner, the dog face gremlin versus Big Papa Pump, Scott Steiner with Buff Bagwell. All right, so this is supposed to be the brother versus brother, and the hype was great for this. The opening package before the match starts really sets the mood. They start fast, strong, and it's a little snug, but it's okay to work snug if you and the gentleman you're working with say, look, we're going to work snug. These are two brothers. So they're no custom to pulling punches with one another. They want to make it look good. They have to make it look good and intense because it's two brothers anyway. So they're going to work a little snug. Yes. You know what I mean by snug, right? Yes. Uh, it's, you know, they're hitting each other a little harder than they normally would, but they're not trying little to like. A sn- little stiff, little snug. Yeah, they're not trying not to break each other's faces, but they're laying them in there. They're laying them in and it looks good. And if, yeah. and if that's what you agreed upon, go for it. Yes. And what, I, I've, I've been there. I've had somebody say, hey, man, let's work a little snug. We'll make it look nice. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, I've also known that, um, and I can't speak for most companies, but I know UCW, um, Ronnie has a strict policy with wrestlers. He said, if you go out to the floor and you are fighting close to the crowd, lay it in. Yep. He said, if you're in the ring and you want to throw a working punch and not really hit each other or make it seem like you hit each other, but you really didn't, that's fine. But if you are out to the floor and you are close up to where the fans can clearly see you, you lay that shit in or don't go to the floor. Yep. That's his rule. He's been very strict on that. Because yes. if you go out to the if you go out to the floor and your punches and kicks look like look like dog shit, he gonna chew your ass out in the back. He ain't gonna yeah, be happy. Because you're, you're, you're killing the business. Yes. So he's been very strict on that. That is a strict policy. And I kind and and for and for once, I'm gonna agree with it. Yeah, um, and and I'll give you an example. Um, because for a lot of people who may not know this, in addition to being a promoter, Ronnie did used to wrestle, and yes. he was a hardcore guy mostly. Uh, and him and Barbarian, the Barbarian, we, who we know, they fought each other all the time. And anytime they went out to the floor, they were snug every time. He, mm-hmm. Ronnie laid into Barb. Barb laid it right back into him. In fact, Barb has actually said Ronnie's one of the top five guys that's ever hit him the hardest. Mm-hmm. So they lay in. They always laid it in, but knew in advance if we go out to the floor, that's what we're doing. And I like and I like that as a rule. 
I, yeah. I think I might start implementing that myself, actually. Yeah, but what I loved about this match was from the moment the bell rang, mm -hmm. it felt like two brothers fighting. Yes. Now, As... the only thing that bugs me is where the fuck were the rules? They're out there on the floor. The ref's not counting. True. I, I think... And then, the, and then the finish, and then let's go to the finish here. The finish makes no fucking sense. Yeah. But we'll get to that in a minute. But I, I just want to finish my point here. And yeah, the reason I love the fact is they treated this because I here's the thing. Rick Steiner can wrestle. Scott Good. Steiner can wrestle. Yes, this is can. one of those matches where it should not be a wrestling match. And I always yes. reference the best example I give for modern wrestling fans is the last match we saw with Seth Rollins versus Dean Ambrose for the Intercontinental title. Where yes. Dean turned heel on the night that Roman had leukemia, and started them in a feud. And they went out to that ring, and they tried to wrestle and have a competitive, technical match, and the crowd was bored to tears because yeah. there was no emotion, there was no anger, there was no nothing until maybe towards the end of the match, and by that point, fans were out of the match. Like, no, you guys just are no longer friends. If they had stayed friends and had that match and said, hey, we're tag team champions, we're buddies, but let's go out there and see who's the best. Then you can have a match like that. But under the circumstances and the way it was built up, that should have been a fight. This right. I want to see two guys. If you're supposed to be two people who hate each other, show me your two people who hate each other. Vinny, 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 do it with me now. Ready? Psychology. Psychology. Yes. That's what, and that's what I loved about this. And as somebody who has a younger brother mm -hmm. and has fought my younger brother, we've had fist fights. We've laid into, we've, we've, we, we sh we've shoot punched each other numerous times. I got that vibe. You have to make me feel. I don't want to see a competitive wrestling match. I want to see two brothers, one whose heart is broken because his younger brother betrayed him, and I want to see him rip his damn throat out. You felt yes. the emotion. You felt the hatred. So despite the finish, everything leading up to that finish was perfect. Perfect. In fact, I'll even say this. The execution of the finish... Oh, let's get now, Gary. If you if you have something to add here, feel free. Go, if go not, for it now, and I'll let me keep I'll, going. All right, good. Yeah, we'll just we'll. we'll here, here's we'll, why I yeah. love this so much. At, at, at one point in the match, Rick Steiner grabs Buff Bagwell and slams him into the ring post, and he takes a bump. But that bump did not look like a wrestler's bump. That looked like a holy fuck, I'm about to be paralyzed bump. And he that sold that neck injury. So well. So well. And here's the fucked up part. Throughout this whole thing, the crowd is chanting bullshit. So they kind of knew. But be the way they the way they stayed serious throughout the whole thing, if you were a fan chanting bullshit, you looked like an insensitive asshole from the time you chanted it to the moment they popped out of that damn ambulance. Think about this. Like it got to the point where even Rick Steiner is not fighting anymore. Mm -hmm. He's like, is he really hurt? Is he hurt? They jumped out of the ring. It looked like they were breaking kayfabe. That's how serious it was. Because they're both kind of helping Buff and wheeling him out. They got EMTs. They got an ambulance. They're putting the brace on him. Everything. Even Eric Bischoff is out there. Like, Yes, but this is what bothers me. Okay? It's great right there. We're great. We're doing good. And then we shit on it by having Buff come out of the... Oh, God. But here's the thing. Come, come out of the ambulance. But we just but we, we, we just did it. And now we're in the... Ah, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying... And, well, here's the thing. 
I agree with you, but not right now. There will come a time where I will agree with you, and I will tell you when that is. So, rest, right. so Boochcast fans, stay tuned. For now, I'm loving everything I'm seeing. And here's what another thing. Not only did this get heat for did Scott it? for Steiner and Buff, it got Rick Steiner over because he showed compassion for Buff Bagwell all the way through to the moment they jumped him. So Rick Steiner showed he's a genuine babyface. Right. And then and then they piss on it when they go to the ambulance. I'm sorry. Okay. It was great until we get to the ambulance and then Buff comes out of the ambulance. But it's all good. Where's Monica? Okay. Uh okay. Benny uh, just realized what I meant by that. Um, yes, uh, like I said, we're doing a lot of foreshadowing that we can't get into right now. Um, no, but stay tuned. Stay tuned. Well, don't well, stay tuned to the Boochcast, not to this episode, because it'll be mentioned in another episode. That's the only hint I'm getting. Um, but anyway, so uh, if you, yeah. do you have anything else to a add to this match? It, but anyway. Do you have anything else to add to this match? Yeah, it was just a lot of it, – it was it was good until we got to the finish, and then it just all went to havoc. Okay. And on that note, uh, we're moving on to the next <laughs> – to the next match of the evening, oh dear God, for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship, Juventu Guerrera defends the title against Silver King. Oh my God. All right, children, this is your flippy lucha style spot monkey bullshit match. It really was. Um, God, this, the freaking Hurricane Rana on Silver King where he barely landed on his upper shoulders and, and almost crunched his neck. Oh, my. Oh, the botched sunset flip. Oh, God. And I'm just, and everybody's like, oh, Hoovy's so great. Hoovy's over-energetic sometimes. Yes. He rushes. He rushes, and, and it did not help that Silver King was also rushing. So we're getting, we're getting too much going on right now. I only saw one, there's only one moment in this match that I enjoyed. Which was? When Silver King bounced off the middle rope and dived over to the floor and dived over the top to the floor. That was a good move. That was, that was, that was safe. That was done well and it looked good. Yes. And it looked good because I didn't think a man of his build would be able to do that. And it Mm -hmm. impressed me. So that was the only spot I enjoyed after, other than that, it was spot monkey bullshit, which probably would, which would have heard it. Which would have Sorry, enter- which would have entertained me as a kid because I liked the cruiserweights a little bit back then. But as an adult, as an analyst now, uh, I could not enjoy this match. This would have been over, a bathroom It's break. overdone, and and we're we're looking at it with modern eyes. And modern yes. eyes, that's today's wrestling. So exactly. So that's why just, I can't enjoy I it. I can't. I I I hate it. I hate the spot monkey bullshit. I do it too. It tells no story to me, and it's just flippy athletic crap. Yeah. If you. Now, Go ahead. If you want to, if you want to see a different, if you want to see a different opinion of this, uh, ask Desmond to watch it. He's the spot monkey junkie. Oh, he'd, he'd love it. He'd live he'd for this. It. He lives for shit like this. I, and I'm, I'm just, I'm not. I'm the story guy. I am too. Um, um, but the inverted. So there was an inverted Frankensteiner done. An inverted Hurricane Rana. Oh dear lord. And this should have been the finish. And folks, we're going to introduce something new to the pay per view reviews. It is the Gator Ricky Ross. Fuck that bump award. <laughs> this is the part of the show where I say fuck that bump. And uh, the inverted, they call it an inverted Frankensteiner. I'm going to call it an inverted Hurricane Rana because I don't like the term Frankensteiner because it only goes for Scott Steiner. It's what they called it back in the 80s when Steiner was doing it. Yes. But anyway, the <laughs> the inverted Hurricane Rana <laughs> 
is the winner of today's Fuck That Bump Award. <laughs> due, due to the fact that uh, it just was, it's a high-risk bump off the top rope, and literally he damn near damaged his neck. Silver uh, King, I mean. Yeah. But that should have been the finish, but Hoovy had to Hoovy had to keep going, so we get a Hoovy driver and a 450, Hoovy goes over. Yes. And it's 8 minutes and 36 seconds of our lives we can't get back. No. And but we move on. Yes, we to move one of the best storytelling matches of the night. Yes, and that is of course a match contested under Raven's rules. Uh, we have Saturn versus Raven with Canyon and Lodi in his corner. Now, before we get to this, there's special stipulations involved in this match. If Saturn wins, the flock, Raven's flock, is disbanded. And if Raven wins, Saturn is his servant for the rest of his WCW career. His, and, his indentured servant. Yes, indentured servant. And Canyon had to be handcuffed to the ring ropes. Correct. Not, no, to the ring post. Ring post, sorry. To the post, not the ropes. He was because he would still have free motion at the rope. No, he was he was um, handcuffed to the post. The post, right? Sorry, I forgot about that. Yes, to the post. All right. Um, I my favorite my favorite line of the entire night: Canyon screaming, "I am not the Elephant Man. Don't, don't <laughs> please please don't handcuff me. I am not the Elephant Man." I'm not an animal. I'm a human being. I'm not an animal. And it's that's just great heel work from him. <laughs> um, good work to start. Uh, before you know, and this really, this was Raven's rules, but it really didn't break down as a full-on heart. Like you don't need a lot of gimmicks to do a hardcore match well. Yeah. And that's what this told. These guys worked simple. They did. They did what they do. Um. You know, it was back and forth. Raven Raven is one of the greatest promos in professional wrestling, but he is so underrated as a in ring wrestler. Yes. In my opinion. He's so he is so underrated as an in ring wrestler and that it is ridiculous. So this really shines for him. Um the drop toe hold into the steel chair has always been one of my favorite spots. It always looks good when it's done well. Uh, Kidman double crosses the flop. Yes, I love that part because you didn't see it coming and it was very well executed. Yes, that was a, co- a, co- a that was a proper swerve, Russo. <laughs> yes. um, motherfucker. Anyway, um, that's the only motherfucker I'm getting on that one. Uh, <laughs> I, I really started to enjoy this, and then Canyon interfered, and I was still very, you know, I'm still very into it when the ref goes down. Canyon gets the key out. Uh, he does he does some kind of maneuver to Saturn. I can't remember exactly what it is, and I didn't write it down. But um, he does he does a maneuver to Saturn, and Saturn goes down. Canyon relocks himself back up in the handcuffs. Then Saturn ends up going over, um, freeing the flock. And Lodi took a weird bump on a table. Now normally, now I'm gonna I'm gonna say this is somebody who has had a couple bumps through a table. Normally, when you go through a table, you want to go through the middle, right? Yeah. Even uh, distribution. Exactly. Lodi went through it horiz- vertically, basically. Yeah. So it got scary. It got That got a little scary. For both but of them. But does not win the Gator Ricky Ross Fuck That Bump Award. No, it doesn't. Because not, not, not here. Yes, because even though it, it, it looked scary, both men knew what the fuck they were doing and took, the, and took it safely, as safely as they could. 
Um, best they best they could with what they were doing. Exactly. Um, if you don't know what you're doing, don't do nothing stupid like that. But exactly. it was Lodi did well for what he he had. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So I noticed. Um. I will say the here are the aspects of the match that I liked was. Uh, I like I like I normally don't like this move, but when it's done by the right person at the right time, I like it. Was when Saturn suicide dived over the top rope. I like that because usually when I see a suicide dive, they go through the ropes. He went over the top, which I thought was impressive. The air, the amount of height that Saturn could get in that moment. Um, also, at the time. I like the fact that because Canyon couldn't interfere, Lodi was able to because Raven rule, Raven's rules, there's no rules. It's basically like an extreme rules match today. Um, and then, of course, you know, Kidman turning on the flock. Uh, I love the fact that there was amazing back and forth action and emotion displayed throughout. Like, you could see the hate on both their faces and in mm -hmm. their moves. Like, they, you could, again, it looked like two people who genuinely wanted to hurt and kill each other. And, they, and you made you believe that. And I will say this, the false finish when uh, Canyon nailed, and I think that move you're talking about was called the Flatliner. Yes, it was a flat, uh, thank you, yeah. because I did not write he, it down. He hit that move on, when he hit that move oh. and, pull, and had Raven pulled on top of him, I genuinely thought, the reason it was a great false finish was that's one of the rare moments where someone did that, and I genuinely thought it was the finish. Mm-hmm. Which is what makes that's what makes a false finish great when you actually believe the match is ending here. Yes, and you don't have seventeen of them. I don't know why I just turned into Jim Cornette, but anyway. exactly. No, um, you're right. You're absolutely right. I hate. Yeah, that's, yeah, but yeah, but that's one thing me and Cornette agree upon is you don't need seventeen of them. Hell, that's one of the few things in NXT that John and I both agree is unnecessary is the multiple false finishes. Oh, when, God. when there yeah. gets to be too many, that's the one thing in NXT that drives us nuts. Outside of that, we enjoy the product, but that's the one thing that always gets under both of our skin is the when they overdo it. That's the one thing that makes me want to throw things with NXT because I actually enjoy the product. I do too. And um, so anyway, I love that. Uh, and then, of course, um, Saturn kicking out of the even flow. That was another great false finish because I thought it was yeah, over there too. That was, done, that was done well. And there, see, here's the thing. They're building a storyline around the fact that, that they're disbanding the flock. And they're doing this so they could later build, a, build the angle that Raven was not really brought up in a bad childhood situation, that he really was a rich kid. Yeah. And they never did it. And I found this out because I, I listened to 83 Weeks, uh, which I will, I will always promote this because 83 Weeks and – uh, which is Eric Bischoff's podcast, and what happened when, which is Tony Schiavone's podcast. I'm telling you guys, this is the these these helped me with my research. Yeah, and so I love that, and then also the fact that when Raven went for the even flow again, Saturn immediately drives him into the corner so he can't hit it, which Correct. is an old school way of countering a DDT, and you don't. But see it looks it. good. It looks good, and no one ever does it. You rarely anymore. see and anymore. You rarely see people do that ever. Yeah, and it's so well done. Saturn so, Saturn doesn't get enough credit for being a worker because he really he's actually it. a really decent worker. He really is. So he drives him into the corner. Then he hits the second. Then he hits another Death Valley driver. Gets the one, two, three. Saturn wins. Flock is disbanded. There Correct. is a, there is a part of me that felt it should have ended. When Kidman turned on the flock, I thought that would have been a great finish. But it would, this it would have meant more, but I, I do get where they went with it. Oh, I do too. Like, I'm not complaining. I just felt like the finish could have ended right there because it would have been a great moment. Like, and then have Kidman, like, raising Saturn's hand and Raven losing his mind. Would have yeah. been great. And then on that note, 
We're moving on to the next match of the evening. We have D. Malenko versus Kurt Henning with Rick Rude in his corner. Now, on paper, this should have been a technical masterclass. On paper. Yes. It wasn't. They're trying to tell this story that the NWO is God and that Henning is a big portion of it. Now, what bothered me here was you've got two of the best technical wrestlers there ever has been, and they're not technically wrestling. They're brawling. There's a lot of bullshit going on. Now, there's a lot of leg work, and the fans are even chanting boring at this point, which I, which I think I agree, but it's, that's kind of shitting on them a little bit. Yeah. Because they were, they did try. Well, um, okay. goddamn, rude, just too much, too much, Rick Rude, way too much, Rick Rude, getting, getting into it too much. I mean, I understand, and I get it's part of the gimmick, but goddamn, I can see that. Um, how I look at it is, even though there, yeah, there wasn't a lot of technical wrestling in this, I think mm -hmm. the psychology more than makes up for it. It does. And it does. It just here's, wasn't what I expected or wanted for yes. me to. And because here's what I loved about this match. Again, and this is again, this is old school shit, proving that it works, and you don't yes. see it today. Yes. Now, what doesn't work is the DQ finish. Yes, but here's the part that did work. Let me get to that. Sorry, go ahead. It's okay. Go ahead. Um, Kurt Henning goes into this match with a bad knee. Right. A visible knee brace clear as day. Right. Dean Malenko. Yeah. This match go. was seven minutes and 38 seconds. He spent a good chunk of those seven and a half minutes. Spent about five minutes of it working the knee. Working that knee. And, and it looked good. And it made sense. And trying to set him up for the Texas Clover League. And Correct. But this, I just wanted more. I, wa I don't know why. I wanted more from these two. Oh, I know. And it goes, but this goes back to something that um I learned from, and I think you might have saw this too. Did you ever, did you, I, did you ever watch the video uh, with Al Snow where he literally explains, like, talks about wrestling psychology and storytelling and literally tells an entire story with his words? A yes. great wrestling match. Did you ever see that? Yes. yes, I've seen that. There is a moment where he talks about, like he said, let's say, you know, one guy has a finisher, it's a DDT. Another guy has a finisher, it's a figure four. He said, if you were a boxer and you had a knockout punch... The minute that bell rings, what's the first thing you're going to try to set that guy up for? That knockout punch. Exactly. So if you're finished with a DDT, you might do a lot of other things in the match, but at some point, your goal is to transition to and hook his head. Whether you take an arm or a leg, whatever, you're trying to work your way to his head so you can hook him and hit that DDT. If you're finished right. with a figure four, whatever you do in that match doesn't matter. At some point, you're trying to transition to his legs. You want to work his legs. You want to weaken his legs so you can lock in that figure four and tap him out. That is exactly what Dean Malenko did in this match. He Correct. he worked. He did everything he could to chop down that bad knee so he could set him up for that Texas Clover lead. And in the beginning, Kurt manages to counter out of it. Correct. You I know? just want. I just. I want more. I don't know what. I don't know why. I just feel like with these two, I want more of a technical yeah. match and I feel like I didn't get it and True. you could have done everything you're talking about and made it more technical especially but, without all the goddamn Rick Rude yes and I will say one more thing about this it's another interesting point that people that if you're a wrestler you need to pay attention to this correct at one point in the match Kurt Henning does a head scissor stomp to Dean Malenko yes the yes. second Beautiful. Malenko hits the ground Kurt immediately grabs his knee 
Yep. Like that was the most painful thing in the world. So Dean Blake goes down, Kurt's down on the ground, and he is grabbing his knee. Like it's it called was selling. Most... Yeah. So like he he hit this great move, but he's reminding people my knee hurts like a motherfucker. And it's see, and that's the thing that bothers me in some situations. In some situations, guys will will have like okay. I've got a broken hand. Oh, God, my hand's broke. Oh, we've been working my hand. But I'm still throwing punches with that hand. And I'm yeah. not showing people that that hand's fucking broke and it hurts and I don't have full power. Exactly. But Kurt, Kurt just, is that psychology, children? Psychology. Yes. So while, yes, I agree, they could have done a lot more, the psychology was so great that it was still, it was still a great match without the technical stuff. Just fucking Rick Rude. I, I'm sorry. Too much <laughs> Rude. Too, too much the, the DQ finish where Rude attacks Dean after using Yeah. After Dean used the perfect plex. Yeah, and I don't yeah, I don't need uh and I have already said it before, I hate DQs on a pay per view. So Arn Anderson comes out, makes the save, but gets attacked by Kurt and Rick and you know, I will say yeah. I will say they do do a good job of telling the story that the next night on Nitro, Arn Anderson is is arm wrestling Eric Bischoff. Um, so they attack the arm because Arn Anderson's arm wrestling for Ric Flair to be able to come back to the company. Yes, absolutely. And, so um, so that's a great that's a great story right there. Yeah. And yeah. now it goes downhill. Yes. Now we go to the next match of the evening. Oh dear God. We have Conan versus Scott Hall with Vincent. Oh, yes, children. Last call, Scott Hall. This gimmick really bothers me. And when I went back and listened to Eric Bischoff talk about it, Bischoff said, I tried to blur the lines between reality and fiction, and it did not work with this. I used a man's real demons as a gimmick. This was the man's, he was really having substance abuse issues. So Eric Bischoff thought it would be a good idea. Well, let's make him a drunk. And it just, it was, I mean, it was, it was bad. And he wasn't, the sad part is Scott Hall's not even drunk when he comes out there. That's just really good acting. But yeah. it's, 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 the concept is it's just too much. Yeah. Hey, yo. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, real quick, uh, survey time. Are uh, you here to see the good guys? So, G Gator, I want to ask you a question. When yeah. you watched this pay-per-view, were you here to see WCW? <laughs> no. Were you there to see the NWO? Yay! Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. This next part gets a little tricky. Now, were you there to see... The black and white attack. Ooh. Or were you there to see the lame wolf pack? Yay! Survey says one more for the good guy. Ooh. It was a cluster. <laughs> oh my god. That is great. I, I Scott Hall That's actually was how that, those are actual fan reactions, by the way. Yes. So <laughs> That, that was, was actually how the fans reacted. And that's actually how Scott Hall said it, by the way. Yes, that was an actual recreation done for you by me and Vinny. Uh, Gator, uh, uh, honest, honest, honest answer now. How mm -hmm. good, how good was my Scott Hall impression? 
It was, it was right good, actually. You, 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 you're you. the right good, Scott Hall. Thank you. you I worked right. hard on that. And side hey, note, hey. I met Scott Hall. Uh, he's a, I, I, I've been friends with Scott Hall. I love him. I just wanted to do this joke. Um, yeah. He's actually a really nice guy. That's really why is. I was like, oh, he's my God. He's such a sweet it's... guy. He is such a sweet guy. And, oh, God, and Bobby Heenan with all of the drink jokes yeah. during this match. It exactly. just it, it makes me cringe because I know for real – this man is dealing with a legitimate, real. Yeah. Now, here was my issue with the match. Okay. Obviously, it was this match was basically Probably. a taunt contest. Yes. You know that. You know uh, the. You know Scott doing the toothpick, Conan doing the dick grabbing. There's the dick taunting. The wolf pack the only, ears. The only gimmick in wrestling, by the way, that you actually see coming. Yeah. The toothpick. I mean. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I will say there was great basic mat work in this match. Mm-hmm. And, well, there's and there's a, there, there's one spot that scared the hell out of me. Is it the one I'm thinking? The two-ring sandwich? Yeah. Oh, God, that scared me. That was not the proper bumping space, and it just – it looks so bad. And it, this is why modern – this is it, – it looks really – when you're in the business, that scares you because there's no space back there, and guys have gotten hurt in between – the space in the rings exactly like it's... they've really gotten badly hurt that's why in nxt there's that um that diamond graded yeah that thing gimmick there now exactly because that's that's not a smart thing to do um but yeah so they and they act silly during the test of strength and then here's this is the one thing that i this is the one part of the match now there was some of this that i, I will admit like from a taunting standpoint i enjoyed parts of it it, it was entertaining but, during the, 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 the taunting and stuff, but this whole thing was here just to tell the story of Last Call of Scott Hall. Yes, and, but there was one part of this, there was only one part of this match that pissed me off and made me want to throw things. The fact that Conan locks in whatever that submission hold he had was. And they call it the Tequila Sunrise? Tequila Sunrise, yeah. And Scott taps almost immediately. Yes, Doesn't yes. even needed, try. Doesn't even try to fight for the ropes. Yeah, I know. He just taps immediately. That that's fucking pathetic. That's a pathetic finish I for know. a guy like Scott I Hall. That's I know. Yeah, you don't. Mm. That that's something the midget Goldberg's supposed to do. Not what Scott Hall's supposed to do. Now, I think the midget Goldberg waited waited a, waited just a second longer than Scott. That was pathetic. That's a pathetic finish. Agreed. I, I hated that. That pissed me off so much because Scott Hall deserves so much better than that. Because Agreed. he is a better worker than most most uh, smart marks gave him credit for. He is so fucking good. But I just it 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 to add insult to injury to the fact that this man is having these issues. He loses to a move called the Tequila Sunrise, and Bobby Heenan just loses it. Yep, and on that and on, and now, ladies and gentlemen. On that extremely awkward... <gasps> Can I do the gimmick? Uh, sure. Can I do the gimmick? What gimmick? <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, now, to the millions watching at home and the hundreds in the building here. I fucked it up, but anyway. We are ready to stumble through this main event. <laughs> yes, it is, of course, the War Games with Team WCW. Represented by Diamond Dallas Page, Roddy Piper, and the Ultimate Warrior. Versus NWO Hollywood, represented by Hollywood Hogan, Bret Hart, 
and Stevie Ray, and the uh-huh. NWO Wolfpack, represented by Kevin Nash, Sting, and Lex Luger. Okay, so before we even get into the actual match itself, Michael Buffer's out there telling the rules and giving everything he's got and selling it because he's Michael Buffer. And then they just blow the entire pyro budget. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which is cool. I mean, go do what you got to do, boo-boo. But but the whole goddamn pyro budget just got blowed right there. Just smithereens. I think somebody just said, fuck it, hit the goddamn button. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Now, we were talking before about how this War Games is similar to NXT. Now, there are there is a, there are two differences, and we'll get to mm-hmm. that. But this War Game now usually in a War Games match, and this is for those of you that never watched War Games, or if you didn't hear our '95 review of the '95 Brawl Brawl. Here's how a War Games works: you have two teams, usually two teams, sometimes three. Once, uh, into the next three. Usually, one man enters the cage. Correct. No, two men, one, two men enter the cage, starting off with their teams. There's a coin toss, whoever wins the toss, another man comes in, then the other man comes in for the other team, they alternate to all the men are in. The way to win the match is by submission or surrender. That is the rule of a standard War Games match. It's been that way for many, many years, until... 98. Because now they allowed pinfalls in the war games. Which they also do now in NXT. And we still don't fucking like it. And we don't like it. It's stupid. It takes away from a war games match. It takes away from making it special. It just makes it a glorified cage match with a bunch of random guys in it. Now here's there's other two there's another aspect of this that that bothered me. Now, the slight difference in the NXT war games is this. They have a rule where if you escape the cage, you forfeit the match for your team. Oh, God. Which is stupid already. But in 98... Why would, fall, you, why would you even do that anyway if you're pissed off at, at the people and you want to go to war with them? Yeah, and, the, and there's a lid, and there's not even a lid oh, on their cage. There's not even a lid on their cage, which is dumb. But anyway, I digress. digress. The, the 98 war games had this. Not only were pinfalls allowed in this war games... It was every man for himself, which means teammates could attack each other because the winner of this match basically went to Halloween Havoc to face Goldberg for the world title. So, there's that. Also, here's another match, another moment. They said the match could end at any time. So you didn't have to wait for all, in this case, nine men to get into the cage. You could have a pinball or submission at any time and end the match. It goes against the whole concept of war games, and it makes the whole thing look stupid. Because we all know that you're not going to end this until all nine men are in, because if you do, you kill the, the selling of your pay-per-view. So to even have that stipulation is fucking garbage. Yeah. Because no self-respecting fan's going to buy that, yeah. even if you're not That's- smart to the business. And Stevie Ray, everybody. Stevie Ray's out there with all the main event players. One of these things just doesn't roll along here. <laughs> well, here's the question. Obviously, Hogan belongs in this match. Obviously, Bret Hart belongs in this match. Who else on NWR Hollywood would you have put in to replace Stevie Ray? <laughs> the Giant. Was he but still- I don't know if he would have fit in the cage. <laughs> 
Well, he did get... Honestly, as low as that motherfucker is, I don't know if he would have fit. I mean, I guess? He's about the only other big main event guy you could put from Hollywood that I'm thinking. Yeah, because you had Hogan... um... Steiner? But Steiner's already in another situation with with Scott... With uh, With with Rick, so he couldn't With Rick. So you can't really throw him in there. Henning would have been your next best, but again, Henning's over there with Dean. Scott Hall, he was already feuding with Conan. Uh, Not necessarily. They could have put Scott in there. Um, Dusty Rhodes. Oh God. Dusty no, was in the Dusty's NWO. not working at that time. Yes, but he was still with WCW. He just wasn't on TV. Yeah, but he's not working, so yeah. no, not Dusty. Um, but I mean, so yeah, it's kind of a cluster. Fuck, exactly. So. You don't have a lot of options here. So it made sense for, you know, Stevie Ray in this case to be in this match because nobody else would have fit the bill. You already know he's not going to win, and he's only there to help No, Hogan. he's No, somebody's got to be there to take the job, brother. Exactly, and he did. To do the job, brother. And, he, and, and, take, and do the job he did. Um, do the job he did. But here's the thing that I mentioned before. about I, I mentioned earlier in this review about irony. Here it is. At, at, the, at the top of this pay-per-view, we heard people chanting, we want Brett. Mm-hmm. Brett comes out to the ring, mm-hmm. and they boo him maliciously. For no fucking reason. And here's the thing. Brett has a look of disgust on his face. Now, yeah. here's the thing. I can't tell if that disgust is there because he's being a heel or if he genuinely doesn't want to be there. I can't tell. I don't I don't think he wants to be there, but um, well, let's... Let's just can I can I go ahead and just tell you what my notes say on this? Sure. I've got one word for this match. Actually, it's two words, but it's underlined, bolded, circled, and starred. Okay. The drizzling shits, and that's what this was. It was the drizzling shits. It is so bad that you 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 just want it to stop. <laughs> and that's what the drizzling shits are when it's so bad. That you just wanted to stop. Yeah, that's very true, and you know, and that's pretty much what we got here. And kind of, um, kind of, kind of like sex with a really bad hooker. <laughs> and I'm not gonna lie, I've had nights like that. Um, yeah, kind of like, kind of, kind of like Joe Biden and all the executive orders. Yeah, the drizzling shits. Exactly. <laughs> and of course, and of course, kind of like. Kind of like Kamala Harris and her use of putting on more than one mask. The drizzling shits. Uganda forever. <laughs> hey, I, hey, I like Kamala. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, Uganda forever. Yes, Uganda forever. <laughs> um, so, of course, and the crowd doesn't even start cheering. Here's the thing you realize. Until Sting shows up, the crowd is booing everybody else that comes in. And then the crowd gets kind of low. They pop again for Lex Luger. So basically, the crowd loved the Wolfpack and hated everyone else in this match. Yeah, they kind of shit on everybody else. Yes. And it just, it, it, it gets this match, like I said, it turns into a clusterfuck. And it ends finally when DDP pins Stevie. With a diamond cutter. Now, Jeez. so the and match. And you're just like, thank God. Yeah. This match was basically a clusterfuck with a few decent spots. Yes. And. There was one spot that really bothered me, and that was the moment where Hogan's hitting the leg drops on Kevin Nash. And eventually there's a smoke that pops out. There's the warrior. They attack him. The smoke comes again. But there's a brief, there's a moment, a long moment. And that wasn't even the real warrior. Oh, I know. Because. He was a renegade. Yeah. 
I know. We're gonna digress on my feelings on the Renegade. Yeah, we're not. We, we ain't got that kind of time. Uh, go back and listen to Fall Brawl '95 recap. Um. So anyway, we. But here's the thing. There's a moment where before, after Hogan hits the leg drop, before the smoke shows up, where Hogan's just standing there. And this is that same. And by the way, side note, this is that same trap door that Davey landed on in the opener and really got hurt on. So I'm thinking what. So basically. From it, there's one of two things in this match. Either A, they were late with the smoke, like someone who was supposed to time the smoke what didn't hit it fast enough. Or B, Hogan was an idiot because he waited too long to make a cover on Kevin Nash. Like, in, in, in the kayfabe world, I'm looking at this like, pin him! What the fuck? It's like Hogan was waiting for the smoke, but the smoke wasn't there. So they made Hogan look like an idiot. I mean, am I wrong? Correct. Yeah. So it looks stupid. Like, that was... So either... So that's what I need to know. Maybe that's a question that needs to be asked. Is is Hogan just an idiot for not making a cover? Or was the person with the smoke too late? In which case, that person needs to be smacked around a bit. Uh, you we made, can make that happen. Yeah. I, I, I volunteer as tribute. Because you just made... Made, one, made your top guy, your top heel, look stupid. In a way that he's not supposed to look stupid. Exactly. It was dumb. So this whole match was just, it was the worst War Games match in the history of WCW. And it was, and to me, it was a disgrace to War Games. It was a disgrace to the company. And whoever came up with these new rules should be embarrassed for having fucked up a great concept like the War Games. And that's all I got to say about that. Mm-hmm. So, Gator, you have any final thoughts? The drizzle and shit. Exactly. And that's all. That's all I can go with it. And Benny, Benny knows that's a wrestling term too. Joe. That's a wrestling term. Yep. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up uh, this uh, review of Fall Brawl '98. Uh, make sure you guys stick around for uh, the next uh, part of the Boochcast, uh, where we will be getting into the Wednesday Night Wars. We'll be discussing AEW and NXT. Uh, Elvis Linsky and Desmond Dagenhart will be manning AEW. John Tumblin and myself. We'll be manning NXT. So make sure you... And Gator, as always, I thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me for these recaps. I look forward to talking to you again. And make sure you guys follow us on all our social media platforms. Support the show through Patreon. And make sure you check out the next part. And buy a t-shirt. Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again. <laughs> <laughs>